If you will, open to Galatians, the fifth chapter. I'm sorry, Galatians 3. And we're going to pick up where we were uh, yesterday, or yesterday, I'm thinking about the sound in the house actually, Galatians 3, where we were last week, Galatians, the third chapter, and we started a series called Taking Up Space, Taking Up Space, and um, when we're talking about this, you know, when you hear the word taking up space, you know, you might be thinking, well, what are you teaching on? Well, technically, we're teaching on healing and what the Bible has to say about healing. And, you know, the Bible has stuff to say about healing and maybe not always what we think about healing. And uh, so we're going to look at various things. But the reason why I use that term taking up space is sometimes people look at sickness, the flu, the coronavirus, anything that is sickness, disease, although we touched on poverty, anything spiritual, mental, emotional, physical in life is really all included in these verses and the things we looked at, but we're only targeting one. But things that don't belong, they're taking up space right? Um, There are some things that if somebody just came and dumped an old beat up car in your front yard that wasn't worth anything and they just dropped it off, uh, what would you be thinking about that? Oh, you guys would just leave it. You'd think that's great. It'd go with the other five you have? No. Some people are like, you know, and I got an old refrigerator and I'm like, I could drop it off in his yard. And just drop it off there. How many of you would know that that is something you don't want? It doesn't work. Just refri- and then, then here's the thing. Somebody else sees a refrigerator and we go, we don't have to go take this to the dump. We'll just go throw our old dishwasher there. You know, that looks real foreign, doesn't it? Unless you live in Mississippi. No, I'm kidding. I have friends that live there. Hopefully they don't watch this. But you know what I mean. I'm like, hopefully they don't pay attention to this. But you understand, when we talk about that, we're saying these things are just not, they're taking up space, they don't belong. And so when we're talking about taking up space, and we're talking about healing, you know, physical healing, and and understand this covers other things, we're talking about things that really do not belong to the Christian, and really do not belong in this world. They came through the fall of man. Once God gets everything back, there will be no more. There is none of it in heaven. Isn't it true when we, uh, somebody dies and we say they're in a better place, that that's all gone from them? Right? At least they're not in pain anymore. How many times have we heard that? Oh, you know, they they went... Well, we already know that it's God's will in heaven. Why would we think His will changes on the earth? When Jesus said, pray your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. But if our thinking is wacky or screwy, whatever the term you would use, um, and somebody says, well, mine's not. If we don't think in line with the Bible, it is. That's okay. We can all be honest about it and then go, then I can adjust. At least I can adjust. If I fight to think all my thinking is always correct, I'm in big trouble. I'm no longer teachable. That means you know everything. That just puts you in the category of God. 
and you're not that smart. We'd all know it if you were. I mean, everybody in the world would know it, not just us, right? I'm about the only one who knows most everything anyway. No, you just keep growing and you realize, man, there's a lot more to know. And, and, and you realize, I don't know a lot, especially when you start looking at yourself in the light of what God knows. But he gave us his word so we can know things. So let's look here in Galatians 3.13. We're going to go through a couple of scriptures real quick here. Galatians 3.13. Notice this. Christ has redeemed us. Not he's going to. This is written to every Christian. This doesn't mean the good ones only. This is every Christian. This doesn't mean the perfect Christian because you will never find a perfect Christian who's perfect. Now, you can find some who are living a mature life and living according to the governing law of the New Testament, which is love. And, and you can see some that are more mature than others. But this was written to all Christians. Christ, and He really paid for the whole world, that whoever would come to know Him, this would be theirs. Christ has. Not He's going to. He did this already redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we looked at this in detail last week. You can look uh, on your own today for time's sake. Deuteronomy 28, really the first five books of the, New, the Old Testament. But Deuteronomy 28 talks about the curse of the law. And it covers spiritual stuff. You with me? Mental and emotional things. Things to do with your mind and your emotions things to do with your body, physical healing. As a matter of fact, it goes through and talks about boils and tumors and skin problems and all this stuff. And then you get to about the 61st or 63rd verse and it says, and any other sickness or disease that's not written in this book is covered. Meaning in this whole thing. And, so, and then he talks about financial provision. So all that man would ever uh, be looking at in this world Christ has already redeemed you from the curse. Now he talks about the blessing in the first 12 verses or so, and then he transitions in Deuteronomy 28 to the curse or the things that would come upon you for not being perfect or keeping these. But isn't it interesting? Christ has already redeemed you, and he'll call you, tell you it's the curse for breaking the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Now, this was a blessing that was given to Abraham, if you read, and, and, and a curse that would come if he didn't obey. So, with that thought in mind, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? 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 Having become a curse for us. Well, where? For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When he died on the cross or died on the tree, that's when it happened. He became a curse. What was the purpose? So that the curse wouldn't come on you or take up space in your life. God wants you to experience some heaven on earth. And then it goes on to say, verse 14, so that the blessing of Abraham, remember, the curse for disobeying, the blessing for, of Abraham for obeying. But he just said, he already took the penalty for your missing it so that the blessing of Abraham could come on you. And notice, not just Jews. Because sometimes people say, well, this, 
this was written to the Jews. And that's their blessing because, you know, they're descendants of Abraham. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you know that from the Bible. It saves me time teaching. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Not, not the Jews. In Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now go down to uh, verse 29. Well, let me go to verse 26, then we'll jump to 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Anybody who receives Jesus becomes a child of God. But notice verse 29. And if you are Christ's, in other words, you believed on Him and you received Him and made Him your Lord, it says, then you are Abraham's seed, or we would say that you're his descendant. Right? A seed? I mean, if you don't know how science works or biology or whatever it is, the birds and the bees. You know, there's a natural birth, and those people became his descendants. We would call them Jewish people today. But remember, Abraham had two kids, one illegitimate and one legitimate. And then there's a whole other group through Ishmael, and those people are attacking Israel today. And they say their father is Abraham. But we know that the Jews really have the birthright. But you know what? He just threw us Gentiles in there who have faith in Jesus. Notice, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And if you go look, truly we are the seed. How? Because we're born in Christ. We're born in Christ. Is Christ of the lineage of Abraham? Isn't he physically? I mean, we know he's God in the flesh, but isn't he? Now we're in him. And he said right here, I mean, I don't think it gets much plainer unless you read the whole context. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all the promise, you're an heir. It's plain and simple. If you believe in Jesus, plain and simple. Now you may, may, maybe didn't hear this, maybe you didn't know this, but all this stuff is yours. So if there's other stuff, then we would have to say something might be taking up space. I use that term too because then people get defensive and even will go on the offensive when certain things are in their life that really are not God's order. Some people say, well, this is just must be God's will for me. But when you realize it's something trespassing that's of this fallen world, you would be more apt to resist it, right? And say, no, no, wait a minute. I know better than this. Now, if you're not taught that as a Christian that you're free from sin and you don't have to live in sin, then you'll go around talking how, you know, I'm just a miserable person. I'm just going to keep sinning. You know, I'm going to keep doing bad. Like expecting it to happen. We should expect to be free from sin. And if we do wrong, get back up and go. We've died to sin. And we've been taught a lot in the body of Christ about that. And so what we'll do is when temptation comes many times, hopefully we do this, We'll resist it and stand against it, right? And won't cave in. 
But what if at the same time that our freedom was from sin was paid for, all these other things were? But what if we don't know it, then when it comes, like if temptation came, we would know. I mean, there are good Christians who have allowed th things in their life and then they cry after they've done wrong and think, God, I knew better. I'll do better next time. They want to fight against it, right? They don't just go, okay. I mean, I know sometimes people do, but we know that it's not right. We know we're allowing something in to take up space that doesn't belong. Right? And so, if that's the case, then how is our life supposed to look? What, do, what about this healing part of this? Is healing for us? Well, according to these verses, it is. But I want to look at a couple other things, and we're going to run through this stuff quickly to give time to some other things. Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. Because... When we go through this series, we're going to look at some different topics, but it'll all be connected to healing. Romans 5.17, For if by one man's offense, we know that was Adam, death reigned through the one. What does that mean? When Adam sinned, spiritual death, not physical death, entered into man. That's why when people get saved, they pass from, the Bible said, from death unto life. Now, if you saw me outwardly when after I gave my life to the Lord, you probably didn't see change per se. But I noticed it inside. And something started working. I had eternal life. I was now walking in the life of God. And... Um, and I recognize, man, I'm alive. People would tell me, you look different. And it wasn't because I combed my hair and didn't comb my hair. It wasn't because I started taking showers or something. No, I mean, I looked dressing the same and went right into the next day, but people started going, there, something looks different about you. Well, there is eternal life, in every person who's saved, and it should have an effect on us. But notice this. For if by one man's offense death reigned, or we would say it like this, ruled, through the one or because of that, sin, death came through all humanity. It's spreading. Talk about a disease. There's nobody who can get away from this once you're, meaning it's passed on. There's no way except one way. But notice, but much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness or right standing with God will now reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Notice, when you receive Jesus, you receive life, you receive grace, you receive ability, from God, you receive endowments from God. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of life or right standing. Right standing with God means He doesn't look at you like you're guilty. So when you talk to God, don't talk to God like you're guilty if you're saved. Why? Because Jesus' blood washed you.
But notice, he doesn't just say stuff like, you know, you're good with God, you got grace. He said, no, sin reigned, death reigned. All this junk has tried to reign through death, but now you're going to reign in life or through life. Not just in this life, through the life we have in Jesus. What does it mean to reign? One translation said, each one of us will reign like kings in this life. You know, you can reign like a king, or if it makes you feel better, a queen. But I mean, a king is the one that's the head over the domain, so he used that term so you can rule like a king over the domain. How? Through Jesus. Where the curse came and the junk came, Jesus bought us back. That's why you see the New Testament church that's written in the Bible looks different. It wasn't God doing something special for their day, but not for our day. And our day is different than their day. And that kind of stuff all passed away. No, this is for our day. Our day. For your life and my life. So if we're to reign, where do we reign? Turn to Colossians, the first chapter. And how do we reign? If he said to do it, and we're to reign in this life, and to live victorious in this life, and there's loads of scriptures, how he leads us in triumph, we can always be victorious in him, and on and on. One of the famous ones that a lot of people know, we're more than conquerors. Well, that sounds like reigning. Ruling. Notice Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power or the rule of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Notice, the person who gets saved gets translated, moved out of the kingdom of darkness where death reigns and all this other stuff rules and you get born again, you get new life, you are now in a new kingdom. It's in that kingdom you are to rule and reign. There are certain things that do not belong in God's kingdom. We'd all agree with that, right? If we said that's Satan's kingdom over there and that's God's kingdom over there, what would we, that would paint a picture. You don't even have to preach on that. You would think, I know what's going to happen in his kingdom. And then we would think, God's kingdom, we know what it's going to, you know, we, we could think good about what's going to happen there. I mean, I'm not trying to be political, but might as well just throw a rock into the pond and let the ripples go. There are certain areas in the United States right now that have had riots for more than 60 days. Right? Yeah, I heard that. Don't, I didn't tell you who it was. <laughs> Portland. I wasn't going to say it. But there's other places. But we know this. We know that there are a, a certain style of government there. And that's not to be mean. There are good people in Portland. And we love lost people, so we love the rioters. We don't love them rioting. They just need Jesus. Right? Because if you hate the people who are doing wrong, then you're not going to be thinking, I need to reach those people. And you would be out riding too, maybe, without Jesus. Well, less amens. <laughs> I, might, I might have been leading them. 
But so we want to afford to them everything that's been afforded to us. But we need to recognize under their domain in that area, there are certain things that are occurring, right? I mean, we know our governor here is more conservative, whether you like him or not. When the people started protesting, started hucking rocks and doing stuff, he marched right in there and said, that will not happen here. Why? It's different domains, different mindset, different people. But on a grander scheme, we know that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come, you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we got a domain and another domain. And he said, notice this, he has. Not he's going to. When you got saved, it happened. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Uh, either that's true or not. And I mean, if you read the verse before, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. We didn't qualify ourselves. What? To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And He has conveyed. One translation says, translated. My margin says, transferred. All the same. Conveyed us, moved us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now understand this. This is a spiritual kingdom. Satan's kingdom is spiritual. Right? And we know this. We are translated out of it. And he said we're to rule and reign. Where? In this new kingdom. And he said he delivered us and put us into the kingdom of his son. You need to think like I'm in the son's kingdom, not in Satan's kingdom. I'm not just born again. I'm not just made new. I'm maybe in the earth and I'm mingling with people who are in Satan's kingdom. And I want to get them to come to Christ so they can come into his kingdom. But at the same time, I'm under different rules. When I say I, I'm talking for all of us that are believers. We're under different rules. Didn't the Bible say to Christians, resist the devil and he will flee from you? Didn't he? Didn't he say don't give place to the devil in Ephesians 4? So that means we don't have to. Remember he said your adversary goes around like a roaring lion. Not a roaring lion. Unless you know one, then watch out for Ryan. A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He said, resist him steadfast in your faith. Well, why would you resist him? Because he has to flee. He didn't say, just let it, whatever God's will is, it'll just happen. That's a total different picture. Well, if it's the Lord's will, it'll just happen. That doesn't sound the same. Does it? So if I've been translated, you've been translated, I'm in a new kingdom. There's new rules, there's a new sheriff in town, and he has authorized believers in the earth to rule and reign. But if we don't know, we'll allow things maybe to come in and take up space, and we're part of the kingdom, we're actually part of, we're called the body of Christ. What should be in the body of Christ? What should be happening to the body of Christ? Well, we should just be a weak church. We should never just be exalted and, and see the glory of God and see wonderful things happening here. We're just the body of Christ. Doesn't that kind of sound weird? We're just the body of Christ. 
we're not just the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. All believers all over the world are called the body of Christ. What would you expect in the body of Christ? What would you expect in the body of Satan? Well, you would expect other junk, but would you expect that in the Lord's kingdom? So that's why we're talking about taking up space. If we don't understand these things, one reason why a lot of things take up space in believers who are in the kingdom is because, and, and Corinthians says this, many are weak and sick among you because you don't discern or understand the body of Christ or what he paid for. Now, you can know by his stripes you were healed, but you, you got to understand it, the eyes of your understanding, your heart. It has to get beyond your head and get inside. That can take work. And there are some fundamental things that we can do to walk in this stuff because we're already, he said, qualified to partake, not by your goodness. He qualified you. But in all reality... Uh, sometimes things are reigning in our life that shouldn't. Like he said, don't let sin reign in your body. That you should serve it. If it's reigning, that means your life is dictated by it. That can be true in everything. In absolute horrible poverty, your life gets dictated. You're not able to do certain things. God wants to know, let you know He's provided all these things and you can rise. But it's going to be through faith and some principles. Remember, we're not in the kingdom of darkness. Did God get all this stuff here and put it here uh, to bless Satan's kids? Or humanity? Well, I knew you guys would be excited about this. But the nice thing about you guys is you're holding all your amens till the end. Then we can just do one big hearty amen. Right? If people don't know the, these things, they'll allow wrong thinking to take up space in their mind. And I don't mean a thought. Because thoughts are going to come to everybody. They, negative thoughts came to Jesus when he was tempted. But I'm talking about taking up space. I mean just really thinking wrong stuff. Thinking certain things. In other words, their mind, like if they get sick, they'll start thinking constantly. It's just getting worse. It's getting worse. They're always looking at their body. It's getting worse. And those thoughts are taking up space. Or they watch the TV or here, you know, this germ, whatever, will do this and this. And they just, those, those germ thoughts are taking up space in their head constantly. Constantly thinking. They're not thinking Christ has redeemed me. They're not thinking on, like the Bible things said, think on things that are just, pure, true, lovely, any praise, any virtue. You can't find it's getting worse in those qualifications. And people let those other things take up space. And what it does, it's kind of like a tractor clearing the ground to allow those other things, the actual stuff to get in their life. Before people sin, usually they start entertaining it. Got quiet in here. And I don't mean just one thought, because everybody's been tempted. And if you haven't, you're a liar. You've been tempted to lie. And you yielded. No, we've all been tempted. 
right? Jesus was tempted. We'll all be tempted. But it's not an issue of being tempted. It's a matter of now do I let that occupy space in my mind and start entertaining it. Well, the same thing is true on this other hand. Many times people see themselves getting worse, see themselves getting sicker. When the flu comes, they start thinking there's power in the flu. They don't sing power in the blood anymore. Power in the flu. Somebody said, are you allowed to think like this? This seems strange. No, this is not strange. It's not strange. It's Bible. And if I'm picturing germs with power and sickness with power, it's going to get in my heart. And I'm going to try to rise up and say, I'm believing God for this, but my mind is completely occupied constantly with bad and wrong thoughts. And then when something really bad happens... Uh, we're not thinking about God's ability. We're, we're looking at the power. We're looking online. What are the side effects? What's this? How's life going to be? Oh my goodness, this is what's going to happen. They're not thinking the Lord is my healer. His power is stronger. He's already bought something. Greater is He who's in me. I'm in Him. Therefore, the power of darkness has been broken. They try to rise up in a simple prayer, but the rest of their life is dominated and the space of their mind is taken up with negative stuff. And then you get really wacky and weird conclusions. And understand this, wrong thinking hinders your faith. Worry is wrong thinking. And he told us, don't think on worry things if you want your prayer to work. Isn't that the context of prayer? Ephesians, or Philippians 4, 6, 7, 8, and 9, you go through there. Talks about praying, then talks about after you pray, give thanks and God will work. But you got to keep your mind on the answer and He'll keep you in peace if you'll control. Don't just allow your mind to go on to the problem. He's talking about how to get your prayers answered, isn't He? And so, if that's the case, he's telling you what to picture in your mind. Why don't you picture yourself getting better? I, I know this. I heard this story of a minister, and he, he said uh, he was invited to go pray with this lady who was 82 years old, dying, terminal disease. He went to her, and uh, they talked to her, and they said, there's no reason to die like this. And she said, I just want to go on and go home, be with the Lord. They said, why don't you get healed and then go home to be with the Lord? This doesn't glorify him. And she had a tumor or multiple tumors that looked, made, made her look like she had a watermelon, like she was pregnant. And so he, he said they prayed with her, and then they said this. They prayed for her healing. They didn't see anything immediately. And so they told her, from now on, instead of choosing to see yourself dying and see yourself getting worse, keep looking at your stomach and see it flat and see it all removed and then see yourself out preaching again because she was 82, but she was an evangelist. Had been. She did that for two months and saw no change. Every day, look at it and say, thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Saw her stomach flat. Just kept entertaining. By his stripes, I was healed. Thank God these things are gone. Two months did this. No change. After two months, it started to get lower. It started to move. And after a few more months, it was completely flat. She was up now walking around, and she kept seeing it. Uh, she'd see herself out preaching, see all of it removed, kept thanking the Lord. She didn't entertain her life getting worse. She started entertaining it getting better. You can't just do that for five minutes and think it'll work. You've got to move your mind there and make your mind, and the world will fill you with all kinds of junk. 
there's unbelief flowing like a river. And it'll try to sweep it. You just get around unbelieving people and they'll just spit all over you and you'll be trying to wipe it off. And you can see how screwy our thinking gets because, let me read this verse, Isaiah 53. This is a verse, this prophet spoke this hundreds and hundreds of years Actually, Isaiah has numerous prophecies. But this one was written before Jesus was crucified and before he was whipped on, a, on the cross and before he was bruised and before he took the crown of thorns in his head. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, this was prophesied. Notice this, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely... He has borne our griefs. If you look at other translations or even in the margin, it'll say, surely he bore our sicknesses. Somebody said, well, I don't know if that's true. Well, go read Matthew 8, 16 and 17. This verse is quoted like I'm reading it. And it was how Jesus healed his mother, Peter's mother-in-law and healed all the people and delivered them who had problems mentally and from the devil. And he said the reason they were healed to fulfill this scripture of, the, of what Isaiah was saying, how he paid for it for man. So let's go back and look, because there's a reason this is noteworthy. Surely he has borne our griefs, or literally sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, or literally pains. Yet we did esteem him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, or our wrongdoing. He was bruised for our iniquities, our willful sins. The chastisement for our peace. When He was beaten, He was chastened or beaten or disciplined. All that torturing for our peace or for it, our peace was upon Him. You, why did all this, why did Jesus go through all that? To take away your sins? To deal with mental stuff? and to have peace with God. And he goes on to say, and by whose stripes, when you were whipped, it says, we are healed. And it's physical healing because of where it's translated later. It's talking about physical healing. So it's already ours. But understand this, if our thinking is wrong, it, it will take us captive and things will rule that shouldn't rule. Condemnation can rule a Christian. And it's not supposed to because the Bible said there's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. But how many Christians live condemned because of what I did? But is what Jesus did bigger than what you did? Then no more condemnation. The Bible said, who is he who condemns? It's not Christ. He died. Well, if it's not him, then we got to look at who's accusing, condemning. Revelation 12.11 says Satan is the accuser. Those thoughts are not coming from God. So we look at this and say healing is paid for. Mental stuff is paid for. Physical stuff is paid for. Emotional stuff is paid for. Spiritual stuff is paid for. So you might have life. It's all right there. Now, this is why I said our thinking can get screwy sometimes. 
Because sometimes, if we're not careful, we think totally wrong about these things. We think of the power of sickness, and it, it, like it has great ability. Like the flu doesn't have so much, but some of this other stuff has more. Like one's way bigger than another to God. Really what it is, is it's bigger to us. And it's bigger for no reason. Let me ask you this. If you got a $5 bill, not a $5 bill, a $5.78 bill in the mail and you had to pay it, and you had a million dollars in the bank, you wouldn't freak out. You'd go, that's covered. Wouldn't you? I, covered. What if all of a sudden somebody uh, sent you a bill for $123,000? Well, you're still not going to freak out. Why? Because you know it's covered. I already got it. Wouldn't you agree? You would. Now, you would freak out if you had $23 in the bank and you said, I could cover that $5.27 one, no problem. Now the $100,000 one comes, you'd freak out. I can't do that. Oh my goodness, and you would weigh one is bigger than the other. But if you knew you already had it in the bank, you wouldn't be freaking out. But see, we don't realize what's in the bank of redemption that he's already paid for, or we wouldn't freak out on something big or small because we know we got what it takes to make the payment. But the reason why is we many times think in our mind, well, I can lean on cold medicine. medicine. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying don't take it, and I can overcome that. But, but there's no way to overcome this. But no, it's already paid for. But before a lot of those things take up space, they get rooted in people's hearts and minds. And then people, the first thing God asks every Christian to do after they get saved is to renew their mind. That means instead of constantly thinking whatever, you purposely eradicate wrong thoughts. You purposely think on Jesus. You purposely think on what He paid for. And I don't mean just occasionally. You get your mind there. He whose mind has stayed on Him, He, God, will keep you in perfect peace because you trust in Him. But we're looking at some verses that say He's already paid for healing, paid for all this stuff, but if I don't eradicate all the doubt thoughts and all the negative thoughts and all the, oh, I don't have the ability, I'm doomed, and I picture everything and just constantly think like that, one, it's going to cause fear and anxiety in me. Period. And there's nothing I can do to pull that out of you. The Bible said, purify your own heart, you double-minded. Means one who's holding to more than one opinion. <clears throat> so you can get your heart quieted just by learning to be disciplined in your thought life. You need to, and I believe this is why God deals with us about certain things we allow in our life, you know, individually, because he knows they'll just start taking up space that should be given to something uh, else to think on. And you've got to be purposeful. Understand this. If whatever thoughts are coming to you don't affirm your faith, don't dwell on it. 
that don't affirm your belief, don't dwell on it. Eradicate it. Deal with it. It's just as easy, or I should say, both of them are a choice, to think on something positive or negative. To think on doubt thoughts or faith thoughts. It's a choice. Now the devil for sure will make sure you get a few doubt thoughts and sometimes more than a few. But that doesn't matter. You don't have to choose to think on them. You with me? So if he said you could purify your heart by changing your thinking, now your spirit's made brand new. When he said heart, he means the core way you see and believe. And we know that if we will keep our minds on the right thing and constantly ponder, Jesus is risen. I'm in his kingdom. He has defeated all these things. That is going to trickle into your heart. And when it gets into your heart, you will be a different person. But you can hear people when they talk and just, you know, I just am bound by all this stuff. I'm bound. Well, where the word has not found its way into my heart yet. I'm not thinking like I have been delivered. I'm not thinking like Jesus is supreme. <clears throat> I'm thinking like these problems and all this other stuff is supreme. But thank God it all can change. And I'll tell you what, from the inside out, when you get this stuff out of you, the other stuff ain't going to take up space. So that means something else has to take up space, and that means i got to get my mind on the answer. On God's ability, God's power, my life in Him, who He is to me, who's in us. Often we quote, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But we'll spend, many times there will be, you'll find people who will spend more time thinking about the problem than they do greater is he who's in me. And then they wonder, why is my faith hindered? So guess what? It doesn't matter who you are, we can all do this. Amen.